Program. You know what we do. We take back America. You, me, Professor Harvey K., the Professor Emeritus from the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. We reclaim that radical, progressive history of America. We got that playbook. It's a damn good progressive playbook. Let's run that thing back. How about that? On the show today, it has been a while, too long, since myself and the good professor have gotten a chance to just to talk life, talk a little politics. Post midterms, talking about the railroad workers, Josh Hawley, that clown, he makes an appearance. In fact, when Professor K and I, when we started this segment, Taking Back America, every Tuesday, we kicked it off way back about a year and a half ago, thanks in large part to the senator from the great state of Missouri, Josh Hawley. Had there been no Josh Hawley, arguably there'd be no Hartzell and Harvey K. So for that, I guess we can thank him. But also on this episode, we're going to remind you how important this whole thing is. What is the whole reason? And why we keep saying we want to reclaim and take back America? Well, because if we don't, then we got phonies. Hey, you know who lives in this house? A great big phony! Yeah, phonies like Josh Hawley who will take that, they will corrupt it, they will co-opt that message for their own good. That's what reactionaries do. That is what this reactionary Republican Party, that's what they do. And the establishment Democrats, yo, you ain't much better. And while I'm not going to say you're worse, you're pretty damn bad because you're not doing nothing about it. But not us, Kansas City. Oh, no, not us. We are in the coalition building game. We working to change the world. And I'll tell you what, this episode today was a good one. Rate, review, subscribe, do that thing you do kansas city share this one too like i said it's a good one i love you it is a good day to be a kansas city and always because of you my name's hartzel back in your feeds tomorrow we'll see you in the morning bye January 11, 1970, victory belonged to Hank Stram and his Kansas City Chiefs. TV9 News Special Report, close up the flood of 77. From the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri, it's Milwaukee Bucks against the Kansas City Kings. Now Kansas Cityans must decide what happens next. What is to follow the city's Holy Week riots? I am here at the American Royal World Series of Barbecue. Daryl Motley awaits, and the Kansas City Royals are world champions. <laughs> professor Harvey K, my brother. He is a professor emeritus from the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. A little extra vibrato that time, Professor K, because it's been so long since I've seen my dear sweet comrade. How are you, my brother? I am okay, 
Hartzell Gray. <laughs> it's good to see you. It has been a while, you know, but it's not my fault all the time. I know I travel a bit, but people may not realize, well, they probably do in the Kansas City area. You are in high demand. We stay busy, my friend. But you know what? It's a, it's a good kind of busy. The kind of busy that we feel energized even after we're done kind of busy. Yeah, well, right. Neither one of us was in jail. It's a good start, right? <laughs> Here's the real question, though. Are you going to respond at the other end? Harvey, you going to pick up that call? Yes. No questions asked. I appreciate it. And just for the record, I would also pick up no questions. I don't have any money in my account, so I can't bail you out, but I can give you a great conversation from across the line. <laughs> well, what I would tell the judge, I said, look, I'll give Hartzell and Kitty the basement here in our house, and I'll keep an eye on them. How's that? Harvey K, what have you been up to, brother? Happy holidays. Thank what, you been, you. what are you working on now? How's Green Bay? Green Bay is not the usual Green Bay. I mean, weather-wise it is. It's kind of cold, to put it mildly. Although we haven't had snow. That's unusual. We really haven't had oh. snow. I mean, we've had flurries and, you know, in the morning you wake up and occasionally you'll see a little snow on the roofs, but we haven't had real snow. However, we have a losing football team. Yeah, Harvey, I didn't uh, know how to address the elephant in the room. Yeah, ah. yeah it's, it's, it's really strange. I was at the dentist say having my teeth cleaned, and I've known the hygienist for, I think I was saying, at least 30 years, maybe 35 or more. And I talk during the dentist in between when she pulls the, the blade, not blade, the, the pick <laughs> out of my mouth. You know? And I said to her, do you realize I've been here over an hour now, and we haven't even talked Packers once? Not once. And my dentist, for the record, that's why I think about this, is is the team dentist. Has been for, for many, many years. Talk football everywhere. But I think they got to be at the point where there was really not much left to say. Even though my morning radio guys, Rookie and Bill, well, Bill's written off the Packers, I'm pretty sure. Rookie at least has the decency to let us know, do we stand any chance of making the playoffs. And I think we were down to 9% as a chance, maybe 2%, who the hell knows. But the two teams that had to lose this past weekend to keep us alive did so. We, we didn't play, we're on a bye. Now my daughter who lives in New York, you know, she's a lawyer, assistant attorney general of the state of New York, one of a number of them. She is a huge Packers fan and also a huge English football fan, specifically in the professional ranks, Liverpool. But England as a team is ever since she was a kid. This is more important to her than the Packers for many, many years. So I became big Liverpool fan and an English football fan. And I know that I may be attacked by people down in Kansas City for <laughs> confessing this, but I was not rooting for the USA in the World Cup. I was rooting for England. And I also wanted to see some certain teams go forward. Well, the teams I imagined going forward with England, they all got pushed out before England lost to France. Wah, wah. Yeah, I know. And it came down to these penalty kicks, one of which was made and one of which wasn't, by Harry Kane, who I absolutely love because I think that in a spiritual way, Harry Kane and Harvey K are like brothers. Well, simpatico. Right. So anyhow, so I'm not watching any more of the matches. I don't think I've given up. I do have to say, though, a winner of these 22 World Cup games as a character, I think Kansas City at large, I, I know I'm a bit of a homer here, but all those games when USA was playing Harvey K, the shot that they took from the States was, you know, right here in Kansas City. Watch Before party, right. You were hosting the watch party. Let's make that clear. How cool was that, huh? Very very cool. I like the pictures. I think you sent me a couple of pictures, right? Not only did I send you pictures, in 2026, you will be a part of said pictures. As long as I don't have to suffer abuse if I wear the three lions shirt. <laughs> you got to be that guy, aren't you? 
moving to what we know of as real football in the United States, how is Kansas City doing? I have to remind myself that we came into this year saying this was going to be our retooling year. We're spoiled, though. We don't know what that means because we still think that that means we're going to go undefeated and Patrick Mahomes is going to have a thousand touchdowns and pass for a million yards. And while he gets very close, don't get me wrong, I still got to remember that we're putting stuff together. Patrick also can throw three interceptions. He is also mortal. Yeah, I know you worship him. I do. I know you do. But I do have to say that in the days when Brady and uh, Manning were both quarterbacking, Brady, of course, of the Patriots, Manning at the Colts, I didn't like either one of them. I thought they were mechanical. I didn't see any personality, mostly because we had a quarterback named Favre, a lot of personality, although ultimately rather corrupt personality. And and even Rodgers, when he replaced Favre, he had personality. Right now, his personality is but that's not the point. But I had to confess... When I saw Brady, as bad as the Buccaneers season is, bring them back two Sunday nights ago, I said to Lorna, he is the GOAT. Decidedly the greatest quarterback football has ever seen. There's just at this point no argument against it. It's like we said off air. It's one of Mahomes' things that he's missing right now. It's the ability to do those ugly, utterly disgusting Tom Brady throws, those mid-five-yarders that win you Super Bowls. Yeah, and I do have to say that if you gave me a choice, who would I rather watch? I'll choose Mahomes any day. But you know what I'd rather watch? A Super Bowl parade. I love a good parade, Harvey. I love a good parade. Have you ever actually been the, what do they call the guy who is like the, the master ceremonies? Grand Marshal, right? Is that it? The Grand Marshal, not That's just the it. Marshal, the Grand Marshal. <laughs> I would like to see a parade. I don't know if the, the soccer team could bring out that kind of event. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I would love to see you be the Grand Marshal. At that kind of event. I am now going to make a vision board, Harvey K, and that's the top spot on the vision board. And just promise me, whatever happens, even if you have to organize like a giant occupation of the Uh street, you will not allow Josh Hawley to be the Grand Marshal of anything. If I have it my way, it's going to be a parade like Ferris Bueller and Josh Hawley won't even be on campus, Harvey. Nowhere near it. Very good. That's great. As you know, and I know, I bring up Josh Hawley as a segue. And that's a hell of a segue because post-midterms is now the reflection, right? The analysis from each side. And our, I was going to say junior senator, our soon-to-be senior senator from Missouri, he's offered his analysis of the Republican Party and where he thinks that they can take this, and I have the biggest air quotes, you can't see this, but movement that they're trying to cultivate. So let's backtrack. Harvey, your thoughts post-midterms. Well, let me start off by saying that I, too, was worried that the Republicans, not that they would get both houses. I felt confident that, I actually strangely enough felt confident that the Democrats would hold the Senate. Okay, I don't want to interrupt you, but I pulled the audio. We were some of the only folks who were saying this. Good for us. Anyway, we had to turn that into money. (laughs) I'm still working on it. (laughs) And you made an excellent point why in real time I was texting you during the election. Your point was it wasn't the Democratic Party who showed up and a message was spoken to. No, it's the American people who honestly showed up in spite of a lack of message. Oh, yeah. And by the way, the saddest part of that lack of message played itself out here in Wisconsin. He wasn't my original candidate. I'm talking about uh, Mandela Barnes. My original candidate, another young fellow, Tom Nelson. 
And Tom Nelson has been a longstanding Wisconsin political figure. Didn't necessarily have what people think of as the charisma, but he had the right platform. He had the most progressive platform of the Democratic candidates in the primary. But I was worried about Barnes to begin with because our friend John Shelton and I had tried to offer him some ideas about how to take hold of American history. He just showed very little interest, no interest in it. So I was worried that that would come back to haunt him. I think it did. And Johnson just beat him by, you know, it wasn't by a lot, but he beat him and it didn't have to be that way. But in other places, the senators who are you know, Democratic candidates did quite well. And fortunately, in the wake of that, in the weeks that followed, Warnock has won the Georgia seat. Of course, then we get the case that Cinema has left the Democratic Party as an official Democrat. She will not caucus with the Democrats, but they can still depend on her for to vote for Biden's nominees. And she will not caucus with the Republicans. Imagine that, Harvey. Imagine that. Kristen Cinema asking for attention. It's so unlike her. It's well, that's so just it. Her. I mean, I figure her whole career is attention getting <laughs> and she's been lucky enough to win. You know, it's a shame. It's, it's just a shame. But let's go back to the elections. I can tell you what I most remember about the outcome of the election. I was pissed with the Democrats and the liberal pundits. They were celebrating because there was no red wave. Well, they f lost the House, which means that for two years, this government is going to go nowhere, which means that all the needs of the American people that haven't been addressed for who knows how long will not be addressed now. And Biden doesn't show himself as the kind of guy who's going to necessarily rise to the occasion of telling the Republicans to shove it where the sun doesn't shine. And here's what I mean by that. What happens when we have to start, because I haven't seen the Democrats take any action or project any action in this lame duck session they're in, even as I think about this, I'm getting angry. What happens when the Republicans say there's no way they're going to go along with a budget deal? What happens when they have to lift the debt ceiling, which by the way is a stupid concept anyhow. As I've asked, and my friend, though, not like you and I, friend, but a friend of mine, David Sirota from the Bernie campaign and is the commander in chief at Lever News. He and I both have asked, will Biden bow to the Republicans and offer cuts in basic needs programs like Social Security and Medicare and so on? I mean, this is dangerous times. And the Democrats were celebrating, but they didn't even have to lose the House if they had acted like FDR Democrats instead of acting like Carter, Clinton, Obama Democrats. Well, it's once again, they become these institutionalists for these toothless institutions. It's like Biden who can't get rid of the filibuster. He just can't be moved to get rid of this Jim Crow relic for yes, reasons. Exactly. The, the debt ceiling is just a pro forma. This is nothing. This is just saying we're going to do what we said we're going to do. We're going to pay our bill that we said we're going to pay. This is a leverage tool. And folks want to see someone who's going to be a fighter. When they don't get that, they're willing to be upended by folks who are going to be nothing but phony, disguise themselves as offering them power when really they're taking your power away. And we have not even mentioned just how, what's the best word for it, politically backward Biden revealed himself to be in this railway workers question. That, I think, requires a remark. So let's remember a couple months or more ago, Biden said he was going to intervene in the possibility of a railway owner's you know, lockout or worker strike. They couldn't afford for this to happen, especially with the supply chains already disrupted. And you can imagine Christmas on the horizon. We kept hearing it would take $2 billion a day out of the economy, that kind of thing. Well, the daily cut, sure, gave a raise to the railway workers, but it completely missed the major point that 
Railway workers are super exploited. For the last five years, the railway companies, which are hugely profitable to their billionaire owners, have reduced the size of the rail workforce, which means that the workers themselves have had to pick up the difference between the amount of work that might be accomplished by, say, 100 workers at any time, instead has to be accomplished by, I don't even know what it would be, 70 for that matter. I'm inventing numbers. But then the other thing is, they're like the US Marines. They're on call 24 hours. They don't have set times where they have to be in any one place and get to leave and go home another place. They're on constant call and they have no sick days. So it means not only are they being driven sick by the working conditions, but then if they take a sick day, it has to be in the form of vacation day. And if they do not appear, then they get punished by having wages withheld. And what did Biden do? He called on Congress to block the strike by enacting a law that would not allow them to strike. And just so everyone knows, the 1926 Railway Labor Act passed, which gave the government that kind of authority to act in those moments of crisis. I mean, it's going to be a disaster. The Democrats don't realize working people are not stupid, and they will not forget that their brothers and sisters in the railway industry were screwed by the president and the Democratic leadership in Congress. Then to add to the debacle, the squad, except for Jayapal, I believe. Rashida Tlaib. Tlaib, not Jayapal? Just Tlaib. Okay, just Tlaib. <laughs> Jeez, well, Bernie voted against, and guess who else voted against? Josh Hawley. There's a small group of Republican senators who realized that Republicans, because the Democrats have so failed the working class, working class, white, black, and brown, that there are workers, white, black, and brown, who would naturally vote for the Democrats if the Democrats sustained that kind of FDR tradition as the party of the people. But since they have not, and they had become for so long the neoliberal party, many of them have been moving over to vote for Republicans. And Hawley is in the lead in some ways in this campaign to make the Republican Party the party of the working class. Now, let's get this straight. He's playing every populist card in the book from that book he wrote that we launched our series really with. It was titled the, uh, the Tyranny of Big Tech, in which he gave a narrative of American history that only a good radical might have written. I read it because I was reviewing it. And when I was reading the story of class relations in America that he offered, I thought, oh my God, I would have written this or I could have written this myself. And this is a right winger, a Republican conservative. And then, of course, this came out in the wake of his participation, or at least his encouragement with his fist bump of the January 6th insurrectionists. And I thought, this is unbelievable. So I read the book and I said, he's throwing a challenge. He's throwing a challenge at his fellow Republicans to become more and more the party that attends to needs of working people and a challenge as well to, to big tech, which he's prepared to, if ever given the, the numbers to do it, to break it up, make Amazon multiple companies, make Facebook, all these tech companies, make them multiple companies. He throws a challenge at the left, basically. The challenge of the left is, hey, I'm coming for the working class. What are you guys doing? Number one. Number two, hey, I'm telling the story of America that you guys should be telling. That's the unwritten part. I'm saying, he throws a challenge at the, at the Democrats and the left to start telling the story of America that you and I have for the last year and a half have been doing our damnedest to try to recover by way of addressing and reciting the speeches from the writings of Thomas Paine. And we got as far, I believe, in more recent days to the poets of the 1930s, especially A. Philip Randolph. I mean, 
That's what more and more people on the left, whatever other battles they're pursuing, and all those other battles around issues are no less fundamental than what you and I are doing. We have got to take back America by way of taking back the past to take back the present. As George Orwell said, those who control the past also control the present. He was referring to dictators who bullshit the past. You and I want to recover the real story of America, the radical story of America. It's strategy versus soul. Those clowns like Hawley and Cruz, they see strategy. Yes, Whereas Bernie right. Sanders sees soul. He sees the soul of it all because guess what? Those folks deserve to get paid sick leave because that's just a basic human right as just being a person. And what so often happens on the left is that we have folks who get stuck in the diagnosis phase. So they hear folks like Josh Hawley, these folks doing these phony populist movements or this rhetoric and they see that and they say well look at what the democratic party is not doing but they're not explaining why what josh hawley is saying is actually just a lie and this moment regarding the question of a railway strike or not was one of those moments where he could line up with the likes of bernie sanders because he knew for a start that it was the minority vote. It wasn't going to win. Congress, House and Senate were going to make this happen. Why? Because Biden called on them to do so and the billionaires rule. So he could side with, you know, with the workers at that moment. It wouldn't cost him anything. But it's a very powerful moment. So look around, talk to people. People are calling me and saying, I can't believe what happened. You know, they threatened to never vote for Democrats again, which is probably an exaggeration. But what it is the case is they're not going to forget this stuff. So as I was saying, Holly has written a couple of pieces. The first one appeared in the Washington Post, and the second one appeared in a conservative, possibly religious magazine I'd never encountered it before, named Compact Magazine. The Washington Post piece, which appeared on November 18th, and just as he threw a challenge to big tech in his book, The Tyranny of Big Tech, in this one, he's throwing a direct challenge to his own party the Republican Party. It was titled, or it is titled, The GOP is Dead. And you never know if that was his title or the one that the Washington Post provided, but it's titled, The GOP is Dead. A new GOP must listen to, guess who? The new GOP must listen to working people. Well, what a great populist move that is. Pseudo-populist in the case of Hawley. And what he says, right in the very first sentence, the old Republican Party is dead. It has been wasting away for years now. And this month's midterm results are the finishing blow. If Republicans learn nothing else from this election, they must learn that much. As frustrating as the election outcomes are, the death of the old GOP is no reason to mourn. It just means that it's time for Republicans to forge something new, a party that truly represents the cultural backbone of this nation, America's working people. Notice he said the cultural backbone. The Republicans like to play the culture card as often as they can, you know, whether it's religion, race and ethnicity, immigration, those all come down in people's minds in some ways as the Republicans present their hate and fear rhetoric to culture. But it's really a question of political economy. Well, and it's so telling, too, that, you know, he's trying to, with everything he has, to stay on message. This is a pro-worker thing I'm doing. Okay, but he just can't help himself. These folks can't help themselves. He's got a dog whistle. He's got to just throw in that word culture just to remind you that, hey, I know that I'm talking about this labor thing, but don't, don't get it twisted. That CRT is the devil. He then goes on, which is interesting. Listen to this. He says, for decades, Republican politicians have sung a familiar tune. This is where he moves into the economic side. On economics, they have cut taxes on the big corporations and talked about changing Social Security and Medicare. 
George W. Bush even tried to partially privatize Social Security back in 2005. In the name of growth, these same Republicans have supported ruinous trade policies, such as admitting China to the World Trade Organization, that have collapsed American industry and driven down American wages. That, by the way, if you pulled that out and showed it to someone and asked them what kind of political figure wrote that, they would tell you it was a progressive. It would not occur to them that it was written by a conservative. Now, that's the kind of thing Holly's very good at. He will grab hold of these things. He'll use the cultural dog whistle. He'll then pick out these kinds of developments, which, by the way, he's empowered to do all the more because Republicans are the party on those grounds. But the problem is the Democrats are not the good party these days on those grounds. In the case of Obama, he was willing to put everything on the table. In the case of when Biden administration took office, the big question was, the $15-hour minimum wage. Now, I know there was the passage of the American Recovery Act, whatever it was called, right? Rescue um, Act. Thank you, the American Rescue Act. But the thing that everyone was looking at as well was whether or not low-income workers, low-wage workers would be given the decency of a law that guaranteed them a $15-an-hour minimum wage. And people could say it was the Republicans wouldn't have voted for it, but it didn't matter. The Democrats could have enacted it. Why do they not? Not because of Manchin and Cinema alone. Eight Democrats blocked $15 an hour minimum wage, which, by the way, is an embarrassingly low number in itself, but sure as hell, a lot better than seven, eight, or nine dollars, right? Hawley's brilliant in that sense. The thing is, Hawley's really good with all this criticism, and he really does mean he wants to see that kind of Republican Party. Did another interesting thing. Those of us in the Midwest might get a kick out of this. As a Missouri senator, he said, and we should start relocating federal agencies such as the Department of Energy, Interior, and Agriculture to middle America, which is to say to Midwestern America. You know, that's tempting to the likes of people in St. Louis, Kansas City, you know, Milwaukee and, and other locations out here. Why not relocate? Hell, the majority of the white collar class are seem to be working from home these days anyhow. So why not relocate the agencies that they work for? <laughs> What he's also doing is he's being very on the nose with who he is trying to talk to. Every election, we talk about the swing voter in the Rust Belt, the Midwest, the working class. I mean, he is just really trying to subtly, but maybe not so subtly, hammer home who it is he is targeting in his attempted co-op. As we read on, and you're very good at perceiving the kinds of messages he's signaling, he gets to this thing about, we need explicit support in our tax code for marriage and family, such as parent tax credit for working families. Fine. But then he says, we should adopt new protections for parents to ensure they control their children's education and medical care. And what is he saying there? Well, what he's talking about is, can't have those teachers, can't have those school boards deciding that students should be exposed to real American history as opposed to the phony stuff the Republicans keep calling for. Another one of those layered arguments where he's trying to get multiple birds with one stone, because with that argument, not only is it you can get the CRT out of the classroom, but the easiest way to do that would be school choice. And that goes back to states' rights, which is just at the heart of a Republican argument. This is not anything new. And then you'll love this one. And families can thrive unless they're safe, which, by the way, is absolutely true. However, look at his answer. That's why we need 100,000 new police officers on the streets spread across every state in America. Now, look, it may well be the case you need certain kinds of folks out there who are going to tend to questions of law and order. But we know damn well that that's a signal. Okay, we know damn well that that's a signal. 
It was a signal for Nixon, just like it was a signal right. for Reagan and a signal for Bush. And the other thing is, it was a signal by Biden. Yeah. You know, look, I don't believe in defunding the police. I do believe in demilitarizing the police. But Biden's answer to the question of defunding the police was to say, we're going to raise the expenditures on police. Well, if people look closely these last 10 to 20 years, we have militarized the police. We've given them combat equipment. You know, the, st the kind of stuff they probably could have used more effectively overseas in Afghanistan and places they were now shipping into American cities. I don't like Holly, but I sure as hell, I, I kind of in quotes, and I say in quotes, admire his smarts when it comes to trying to change the working class understanding of which party is to be the party of the working class. And there's already this movement, I hate to put it in these terms, but the Democratic Party has been bleeding working people to the Republicans for too long. And the Democrats, you know, they're under the impression they just have to appeal to folks in the suburbs who don't think of themselves as working class, who think of themselves as middle class, that is, you know, the sort of white collar professional types. And that'll somehow make the difference. Well, look, there will be no effective left unless we have an effective labor movement. And to make that happen, we need workers who are not swayed to vote for the likes of the Republican Party. But at the same time, I wish the Democrats would read these kind of things and understand that they are failing the working class and they're failing to engage the working class in the way they should be engaged. Well, that's the point is that we need a Democratic Party. We need an establishment who's going to actually listen to the demands of the working people. We need a progressive left that is going to move past just analyzing and owning the establishment. You know, if we're trying to actually take back America... We've got to actually take back America. Do you have your copy of the second article? You know, the last piece we looked at, the one in the Washington Post by Hawley, that was a piece written in the wake of the election. Now we have an even more significant piece that I referred to earlier. He has written a piece in response to the vote in Congress requested by Biden to block the railway workers' capacity or right to strike. This piece is really something. The only way you could possibly, not you, but our listeners can appreciate how smart Hawley is. And I say smart, and I put it in quotes, okay, is if you and I give them a taste of what he wrote in this piece. So why don't you start with that very first paragraph that begins with the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy instructs, you shall not oppress a hired worker. Apparently, no one told President Biden or the rest of the political industrial complex. Last week, they united a stifle of potential strike by railroad workers, the first one in years. It's too costly for the economy, the D.C. types moaned. The workers are being unreasonable. Hardly. The rail workers were merely asking for a handful of sick days, something that professional class regards as a matter of divine right. Half the House of Representatives still won't show up for work for fear of even potentially falling ill. But railroad workers must be forced to work and take sick days on their own dime. The hypocrisy is rank, but also revealing. The country's political class has very little regard for blue-collar work or the people who perform it. That needs to change. And there you go. Once again, is this the kind of thing you would expect from a Republican? No! Is this the kind of thing you'd expect from a Democrat? No, you wouldn't expect it from a Democrat either, quite frankly. You'd expect it from somebody on the left beyond the neoliberal Democrats or corporate Democrats. This is Josh Hawley. Now, 
here's the thing. Why are we making such a big deal about this? Because Josh Hawley wants to be president. Josh Hawley wants to be president, and he knows the only way he can ever make it is if he's got, if you like, something of a working class base. One. Now people can say, well, he'll never, he'll, you know, he'll never make it president because look, he's connected with that January sixth insurrection. The January sixth insurrectionists are about to take over the house. Marjorie Taylor Greene, who this past weekend apparently made some remark about, you know, we would have won if Steve Bannon and I had shown up to lead it with, you know, essentially better armed. I mean, what the f Josh Hawley is not going to suffer in that respect because of January sixth. Harvey, Marjorie Taylor Greene's about to be quite possibly the most powerful person in the house. Right. She'll pull the strings on Kevin McCarthy. And even if Foley isn't necessarily primed to win a Republican primary and become president someday, the fact is that one of the other Republicans will definitely recognize in Hawley a really good running mate. Midwesterner, all the sort of looks of a tall, you know, sort of Midwesterner from the days of what? The acting days of the 30s kind of thing. Hearing all that, there may be someone in their car right now saying, well, you know what? Screw the whole thing. They're all crooks. They're all just trying to find ways to lie to me. And that message for a lot of folks does sell. And we've had folks who use kind of that cynicism to make it funny. I'm thinking, honestly, I'm thinking of the Jon Stewart type. You know, how do we not devolve into cynicism? How do we not just write the whole thing off? Because that's also what they're banking on. The reactionaries, they would love for you to sit this one out and the next one out because it's even easier for them. To be honest, I don't think in the short term, there's a specifically political answer. However, there is a broader kind of political answer. And that is workers across the country, as in Alabama, mine workers are still on strike. And Amazon warehouses, workers are organizing. And not only in Starbucks across the country, local regional coffee shop owners are seeing their own workers strike. There are groups, there are unions that are mobilizing. And if you hear something, I'm telling our listeners, that sounds intriguing to you, check it out. Okay? Don't even hesitate to be more involved if you're in a union. KC Tenants here locally in Kansas City. Organizations like that. Absolutely. Absolutely okay? Out in the Seattle area. It's not in Seattle. It's across the water there. In the I forget the county right now. In Washington State, a group of them have organized a coalition of progressive groups called the People's Assembly. And they're running a speaker series during this year to try to, to you know rev up all the more support. I'm honored to have been asked at the very tail end of this series, I'm to be speaking, or I am to speak, on the 1930s, Franklin Roosevelt, the New Deal, labor unionists, and the whole idea that comes out of the New Deal years and the World War II war effort, the idea of an economic bill of rights. So there are things happening all around the country. They're not getting the media attention, but we're talking about them here on the KC Morning Show. And there are other shows like this around the country, but the KC Morning Show is in the heartland and we're in the heartland. There are things to connect to, groups to connect to, people to engage, and hoping that out of a you know months and, and a, a year or more of that kind of effort, we can start seeing our way to a clearer political answer. I truly believe it, my brother. We are on the verge of a new consensus. I'm telling you, we're close. We just got to remember to coalition build solidarity forever. But I know that we're going to make a moment of movement. That's what we're going to do. Professor Harvey K., where can folks find you on the Twitter's fears? Where can they find you? Harvey J.K., H-A-R-V-E-Y-J-K-A-Y-E. And as much as uh, Elon Musk and his ilk may not want me there any longer, I ain't going anywhere.
I am on nowhere. Twitter. Please do consider following me. And before Hartzell tells you as to where you can find him, someday we should see him as the grand marshal of a parade in Kansas City. This guy has talent and a voice. Oh, that will be the day. I cannot wait. And Hartzell, where can they find you on Twitter? Well, they can get me at Hartzell965. You can get this show, the KC Morning Show, at the KC Morning Show on Instagram, KC Morning Show everywhere else. My brother, I love you. Happy holidays. It's so good to see you. We can't go this long apart anymore. We just can't do that. Can't no, do we that. can't. We can't. And people may not realize that in spite of all the affections we throw at each other, we have yet to meet in person dreams of spring harvey k sweet dreams of you and me in the spring you bet see you soon see you brother